Good morning. Welcome to the Celtic Way Morning Briefing Live. It's Thursday, March the second. Always glanced down at my diary there, even because you know it's like getting older these days. But there you go. I'm Tony Haggerty at a Haggerty Ten Twitter handle, which you all know by now. And I'm joined today by Aidan McDonald at Aidan C McDonald. Good morning, Aidan. How are you? Morning, Tony. How's it going? I'm good. Yes, I'm. I'm very well. I'm very well. Now we were going to look ahead to St Mirren, weren't we? But hey, lots of things have cropped up. It's never dull in the, the life of Celtic, and we'll get to that. But first things first, the housekeeping. We do it every day, and we urge you, if you haven't already, to subscribe to the wonderful venture that is the Celtic Way, ladies and gentlemen. If you subscribe to the Celtic Way website and support top-quality football journalism covering the club you love, it'll cost you the grand sum of £2 for two months for unlimited access to everything that's written on the website. It's all for the click of a button, www.celticway.co.uk forward slash subscribe. That's www.celticway.co.uk forward slash subscribe. And we also say thank you to Seneca and Seneca, as we all know by now, sponsor, the Celtic Way Morning Briefing is now sponsored by Seneca Medical Group. And Seneca are the number one hair transplant company in Europe and they offer innovative hair restoration treatments. And you can find out more about Seneca via the links in the description of this video. Now, Aidan, I said there's topics at Google and there is. We've just overnight it's become apparent or to our knowledge that Mikey Johnston, Celtic player currently on loan to Vittoria Gumaris in Portugal, is indicated that he is going to switch his international allegiance and I think he's signed the forums and he's waiting on FIFA approval having had a chat with Stephen Kenny, the Republic of Ireland manager and he qualifies for to play for Ireland through having grandparents from Derry and he looks as if he's decided to follow both James McCarthy before him and Aidan Begidi before him by switching allegiance from Scotland to Republic of Ireland. What say you to that, young Aidan? Eh, I think, obviously, a couple of things. Firstly, it probably does make sense to an extent that he's maybe, if he's wanting to play international football, that he wouldn't be going to look to switch. Because he, I know he's representing Scotland under 21 level, but he's not really been playing consistently at first team level for a few years now. Eh, I know he's obviously on loan this season. He has made 20 appearances, but it's tapered off a wee bit after a sort of good start. So, given the sort of kind of options that Scotland have, and also the talk of somebody like Ben Doak potentially getting a cap in the near future, eh, or even being included in the squad, that would be a place once again that Mikey Johnson wouldn't really be able to take, even if he was playing all the time. So, look, he's getting to that age; he probably does want to be playing in the internationals, potentially get a chance to go and play at a tournament. Eh, I know Ireland have been struggling a wee bit recently, but also they've been they've got to point at tournaments in the past, and he's probably thinking. I'm maybe not going to get the chance to do that. I just hope to get a Scotland call up uh, from Steve Clark. So I think it makes sense for him wanting to probably develop his career, Tony, to be honest. You said to me off air, and you made a very valid point, that he may be looking at the likes of David Turnbull, who's been included in numerous squads, but somehow hasn't managed to you know, cement a regular starting slot for Scotland or, or get a lot of game time. Do you see him looking on at that and thinking, well, if it's happened to a player like David Turnbull, who's highly rated, 
and, and it's kind of struggling both at club level and international level to get lots of game time then maybe that's any thoughts about switching international allegiance and as you say get international honours because the manager's very big on that yeah I think the David Turnbull example is probably a good one to make because that is somebody who like you say has been involved he might not always start for Celtic but he's always in and around the thick of it and I honestly can't remember the last time he got a start for Scotland and I think during the, the last Nations League campaign, which also was a wee while ago now, uh, sorry, not a wee while ago, last year, uh, I think he may had one appearance off the bench or something, but outside of that, he was always on the squad. He was always in the squad, but he never really was involved. And Mikey Johnson would be kind of sort of a step below that again, firstly, because he's not been capped for Scotland, obviously, which is why he's away to Violet's about to play for Ireland. And secondly, he's not really playing even anywhere in the regular first-team football when he was at Celtic. So, yeah, I, I think it makes complete sense, Tony, and uh, good luck to him. Yeah, Derek Crawford coming in, good decision in my opinion. He would not get a game for Scotland. Paul Byrne says, I think Mikey flatters to deceive and does not show the consistency and demands. Therefore, I see him leaving in the summer as well. We'll come on to that. Simon Thomas says he's not good enough to make the Scotland team, so why not? If you want to play international football, a few comments coming in, and Beach Boys is saying Mikey Johnson needs to play 21st team games in a row for a club team before he can think think he's an international player. You know, lots of comments there, Aidan, but he's maybe thinking as well, because Ireland faced Latvia on March the 22nd in a friendly, and then they take on World Cup runners-up France uh, in European Championship qualifying, 2024 qualifier. So if FIFA push this through, he could end up being playing international football sooner and quicker than he thinks, so he's maybe got that in his mind as well, Aidan. Yeah, and I mean, it's a good time to kind of be joining up an international squad, isn't it, at the start of a campaign when there's still all the sort of, well, I know there's not been a lot of positivity with the Irish national team recently, but things are, you're looking forward to maybe this can be the chance to turn things around rather than, you know, joining right in the middle of a campaign when there's not a lot to play for probably a friendly against Latvia would provide the sort of perfect opportunity for him to bed in and then a chance to play against France. I mean, who wouldn't want that, being able to test yourself against the very best? So, yeah, it it could be something in the long run that does help him because maybe if he wasn't going to be getting a game for Scotland, even if he was playing, if he does come back, I mean, I don't know if I could see him, no matter how strong a finish he has to the season in Portugal, I don't personally think I could see him coming in and being a regular starter next season for Celtic, but if he does come in and he's contributing next season, then he's also able to go and play, you know, seven, eight, nine international games a season. That'll sort of help him build up a bit. So I think it's positive, to be honest, Tony. I think it's not a bad thing. Now, you touched upon there, Paul Burns' comment about he doesn't see him, or he sees him leaving in the summer and not a future at Celtic. Do you, do you go along with that? Do you subscribe to that? I've always had my doubts about Mikey Johnson being able to cut it at Celtic, or, and, I, and I voice those opinions very say very vociferously, but uh, people knew my thoughts on him. I think Mikey Johnson would benefit from going elsewhere and try to resurrect his career. And obviously, if he gets international recognition with Ireland, that could help him. But I agree with uh, Paul. I just think he's maybe not at the level that Ange demands and he's and he would be better uh, opting to, to leave Celtic in the summer. But the manager might have plans for him. So we'll see what happens. But I think his future lies away from Celtic. I agree with Paul. Will be yourself. Uh, well, in the summer, I would just there before he did to go on loan. I probably would have agreed with you, but the fact he did sign a contract extension before going 
now you could maybe say that's just so Celtic can bargain more if a team wants to sign him in the summer, but that did kind of make me think. I think that's the only example of a player since Andrews came in before they went out on loan that they've actually signed an extension like that, which said to me that maybe he is in his plans to an extent. I mean, maybe that is going to be based off how well he does it in this loan spell, which, as I was saying, has kind of been a wee bit up and down. It started quite well, but it's tapered off a wee bit. It, it could be. It, it's hard. I mean, it's, the wing positions at Celtic are so strong, aren't they? You know, Jota, Haida, Abada, Haxabanovich, even someone like James Forrest, he's not really been involved that much, but you would say he's ahead of Mikey Johnson in the pecking order, wouldn't you? So that's just, what, five players there. And that's before you even consider on young players as well, because obviously Andrew's mentioned before that next kind of six or 12 months, he'd like to see a couple of the B team players come up. Oh, it's his plan, sorry, to try and include them. I'd imagine there'll probably be a winger amongst that lot as well. So, Rockovata, even. Uh, so I, I, I think it is difficult. Look, I, I always did have quite a lot of time for Mikey Johnson. I thought he was was capable of kind of breaking through, but I think injuries has really hampered him, Tony. And I mean, that one he got back in 2020 uh, against St. Johnson, not long before also the season got stopped because of COVID. I think that just completely derailed him. Because I mean, he then spent like the whole break and a good chunk of the next season injured, and then by the time Ange came in, he hadn't really been playing. So I think I was looking at the stats just before I came on. It was something like twenty appearances, one assist last season, and I think a good chunk of those appearances were off the bench, weren't they? So he's he's not really been used to regularly starting. And yeah, look, it's one we have to wait and see. But I I don't expect him to be coming in and being a starter next season, whether or not he's got a future at the club. I don't know. <laughs> Talk to the manager. Derek Crawford coming in and says the squad number has already been given away, Tony. Read into that what you will. And uh, so, yeah, there you have it. We'll see what happens with the future of Mikey Johnson, if he has a future at Celtic or not. But he's certainly looking like he's going to have a future at international level with the Republic of Ireland. Now, speaking of wingers at Celtic, Leal Abada has been talking about how Harry Peel's been helping him uh, this season despite the fact that he's maybe not been a regular starter for Celtic but I mean he's still got three and a half years of his deal to go really bad, but he's scored 26 goals and created 14 he's got 14 assists and 91 appearances for Celtic so far which is good shooting Aiden, that's good stats but he was talking about Harry Peel and he was saying I feel like I'm a better player than I was last season, to be honest. I think I can still learn a lot from the manager and his coaching staff to get even better. I think this season my goal is to get the left-back one-on-one more and get confidence. The players help me with that and the coaches do extra with me after training, help me with what to do, what not to do, what's better for me, what's not better for me. I just want to learn and want to get better and better. Gavin Strachan and Harry Jewell do it with me all the time. I just want to get better for me, the team, the club and everyone. And he says, I think we can learn a lot from Harry because he played in the Premier League and he had an amazing career. He teaches us a lot about football because we are young players and want to get better all the time. It's very important for us that Harry looks after us. And he says, I didn't watch him play as I was still too young. I don't remember that, but I've watched videos uh, on him after I met him and he was a very, very good player and he had an amazing career. It's a pleasure for me to learn from this player and I just want to work hard. But Harry's very good as he looks after us all. That's quite good to, 
to hear, isn't it? And I, I remember back at the start when Harry Kuehl was appointed and I wrote a piece with Davis Caleb Dunn, who played with him uh, down south or played under him down south, and he said that's exactly what Harry Kuehl would do. He said, look for Harry Kuehl's influence being making your forward players better. So I think you can see that, can't you, that Harry Kuehl's knowledge and experience has been invaluable because all the forward players are certainly uh, worthy of, of the name playing for Celtic and their reputation precedes them. They are getting better. Even, even I looked at Sid Haksabanovic with his uh, cameo on Sunday, and he was excellent. You can see kind of Harry Kuehl influence there, can't you? Yeah, I think Harry Kuehl's been a positive appointment, and... Abada obviously is not the first player to come out and publicly speak about that. I think Maida said as well. Uh, so it was either just before the World Cup or just after it. I can't remember exactly that uh, Harry Kuehl's he feels improved his game a lot. And I think you can see with both of those players that definitely their dribbling and their sort of touch taking guys one on one has definitely improved. Uh, Abada, you definitely see him doing it a lot more. Whereas last year he was maybe guilty of turning back and trying to pass it. To maybe the fullback or just go inside, but this season he's definitely been taking on his man a lot more, and I think he's been getting joy from that. We obviously knew he, he was already a goal scorer. I mean, his numbers last year, fifteen goals, I think it was, wasn't it, Tony? So yeah, uh, which was very impressive for a debut season that we probably didn't think he was going to play a lot in when he when he joined. So, but yeah, I think he's definitely worked on his game, and that's only a positive. And with three three and a half years in his contract, you said he's got left, yeah. Three so years, yeah, yeah. That, that he's obviously still got a, a good, hopefully, a good bit of time at the club left in him, and he's only going to get better because he's still a young player, isn't he? So the fact that he's putting up these numbers uh, at this stage when he's still developing is only a positive. Uh, and yeah, Harry Kuehl seems to have really, really, maybe not, I don't mean really, really improved the forwards because obviously a lot of them were really good last season as well, but definitely seems to have added an extra edge to them, which can only be a good thing. You, you look at the the wide players that we have at our disposal on the team, Aidan, it's one of the strongest uh, positions on the part there is. And I keep saying a plethora of options there, but you look at, you you, you toss and turn over it every week, don't you? I imagine the manager as well, as to who your two wide players are going to be. One week it's Jota and Maida, then it's Jota and Abada, then it's, you know, lots of people want to see more of Haksabanovic, you know, and if a player like Abada with those numbers, can't command a regular game, then there's a high standard there uh, at the club. And you see, working under a guy like Harry Kuehl, who's been there, seen it and done it, can only help improve them. Yeah, it can. I mean, he's literally played at the top of the game, played at World Cups, won the Champions League, played in the Premier League for years with uh, Leeds and Liverpool. So, yeah, working with somebody like that is only going to make you better. And on top of Andrew's sort of coaching, Gavin Stratton as well, I know he got a mention there, don't let leave him out. Because a few players have mentioned him saying he's in yes. game as well. So, yeah, it seems to be that the, the attackers have probably all maybe actually improved a wee bit this season. Uh, even if maybe every single one of them at the moment doesn't have the exact same numbers, I think you can see their overall games have got better. And, yeah, it is, that's a strong place to be because, you know, that's what you want your coaches to be doing, improving the players, which is a very basic thing to say, but sometimes it isn't always the case or it hasn't always been the case in the past. So, the fact that that seems to be happening right now is good. Lots of people bringing up Sunday's dive, Aiden. Blatant dive by... Hopefully Harry Kiel didn't teach him that. that. Yeah. Uh, but... They'll say that they hope Harry Kiel hasn't had that influence on him. But yeah, 
we'll call that out. That was a blatant dive. That was poor from a bad on Sunday. And I actually thought he had a chance to go on and score. I don't know what you thought. I mean, because he wasn't. He seemed to be in control. He was expecting contact, which didn't come. But if he keeps keeps the head, as they say, and keeps his eye on the ball, he'd have a chance to run through and score. So I don't know why he, would, he chose or opted to go to ground. And again, I'll go back to a great spot by the referee, Nick Walsh. He was right on it and he booked him. And when I saw it in real time, I, I thought it was a penalty. I had to see the, the TV replay to convince myself that it was a blatant dive. So good call by Nick Walsh in real time to say that it was it was a dive and, and book him and, and he deservedly get booked for that. I saw a referee was at Des Roach, he was banging about yesterday saying that players should be sent off for that. Not so sure about that, but certainly uh, I know that would certainly be a deterrent to stop players from diving if they get sent off. But I think that he got a, a necessary booking even for that. Don't want to see that. Yeah, I would I it was one of those ones, obviously, I wasn't at the game like you and Sean, uh, so I was watching, covering it from home, and you could see straight away that it was definitely a dive, and then when you seen it, when you seen it kind of close it up, it was very clear, and I think the, the angle, like, it was almost like behind a bad out and on, he probably did have the option to go on, I don't think it was going to be like one-on-one -on -one with the goalkeeper, but he might have a chance to sort of cut it back, or maybe get a shot away, so... Yeah, that, that was that was a bit disappointing. In terms of the red card thing, I think that's a bit harsh, to be honest. Uh, yeah. You know, if referees are going to be sending guys off for that, we see some of the challenges that get given out, and it's only a yell, some really harsh challenge that can put players in danger. I think they would a better focus maybe sorting that out before they worry about giving uh, a guy a yellow card for a dive. But I think the fact that it is a consistent yellow card is, is a deterrent to an extent. You don't always really see that much, Tony, really. I mean... That's the first one I can remember with a Celtic player for a while. Uh, there could there could have been another one recently and it's just went over the top of my head, but I don't think you'd always see diving as much as you once did because it is like a consistent yellow card. I think I read a wee bit of a step too far, but... Here's one for the older generation. Hayden, uh, Pete McGee. Haven't seen a diver in our team since John Divers. There you go. John Divers. <coughs> Player in the Mid sixties, I believe. Uh, right, just pre predates the husband lives and guys like that. <coughs> I'm sure Pete will keep us right on that. But <coughs> yeah, and Derek Crawford coming in saying I'm assuming Andrew will have had a word in his ear. To be honest, I'm sure he will have. <laughs> Gary Madden saying Sammy had some cracking dies in his day. The hey, cool. But yeah, I uh, I didn't like to see that. I thought that was pretty poor from my bad and I'm, I'm I'm sure the manager did. Have a word in his ear about that because it's not what you want, is it? Now, Eden, you did a newsletter yesterday and you were talking about Kyogo. Kyogo now hot on the heels of Dembele and Gary Hooper. Isn't that right? In terms of scoring, uh, I'll uh, flick the link up here for those who didn't receive the newsletter and haven't read it on the, the web. Good read this, guys, uh, from young Eden. Have a look. Some interesting stats and facts there uh, in the newsletter. But talk us through it, Aidan. Give us a flavour of that. Yeah, so obviously Kyogo, he's not even finished his full se second full season at Celtic, but he's currently got uh, 44 goals in 68 games. So I just thought it'd be interesting to compare sort of the first two full seasons for strikers in recent years at the club. So I uh, included Eduard in that, Eden Bailey, Lee Griffiths, Anthony Stokes and Gary Hooper. Obviously, didn't want to go the first two seasons for every Celtic striker, Tony. I'd still be sitting there writing it, but 
in the sort of kind of last, you know, 10, 10, 11 years or so going back, because I think here comes Stoke signed 2010. So, yeah, last sort of 12, 12, 13 year. And, uh, yeah, basically he's already got a sort of better goals to game ratio in his first two seasons than Eduard and Anthony Stokes. Uh, and he's very much hot on the heels. I think he's only a few off than Bailey. And obviously Celtic have got at least 13 games left this season, 12 in the league, one in the Scottish Cup, potentially 15 if they were to get to the final. So I think there's probably a good chance of him beating Dembele. And then uh, Hooper as well. I-, I think with Griffiths, he had something like 61 goals and 91 games or something like that. And it's probably going to be too hard for Kyogo to get that stat unless he gets a few hat tricks, which probably shows how good that season was for Griffiths in 2015-16. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just I thought it was interesting to match up Kyogo with sort of previous strikers, when you look at his numbers, he's definitely up there with the, the most prolific and the most sort of limited game time. Obviously, he has been injured. I think it was about three months he was out for last season, wasn't it? Yeah. There's a few caveats when you're comparing the players. Obviously, when Edu Arden Dembele joined, I think they were both 19. So very much form... And I think uh, Dembele like, quickly did turn 20, but very, they very much had the kind of formative competitive seasons at Celtics, whereas Kyogo arrived 26, I know... The system in Japan, he hadn't been like playing professional since he was 17 or anything like that, but he was still an experienced player. You know, he'd, he'd been through a few seasons in the J League by that point, so he's kind of at his peak now, whereas obviously Edward and Bell weren't anywhere near theirs. Uh, but uh, obviously Griffiths and Hoopon Stokes, it was all kind of like a similar age. So yeah, it, it, was an, it was an interesting one to do, and it did demonstrate that Kyogo has been lethal since coming to Celtic, and I can only imagine if he didn't have that sort of hamstring injury last year, Tony, could probably have at least another 15 goals on top of that by now. Yeah, Derek Crawford seems a very good read. He was surprised with the stats, to be honest. Indeed, it was a very good read. I agree with that. <clears throat> and uh, John Hill saying he hopes Kyogo stays injury-free. That's the only worry. And K-Max was saying he's headed for 33 goals this season. I can't remember what I predicted, Aidan, or me, but we, we all had a go at his final tally, didn't we? I think I said 30 plus to be fair. So, yeah, he's on 24 right now. So, David given Holmes. there's at least 13 games, I don't think seven's the seven more goals are realistic. David Holmes says Kyogo net 35 this season. I think I've said run about that. I'm, I'm not sure. And Angelo Tyler saying Hacksaw needs more accuracy when he shoots and goals. That's Hacksaw Banner, which they're talking about. There uh, uh, we go. David Ferguson. Go back and watch the match scissors and tell me a bad and hacks a banner which are unhappy. That's obviously replying to someone uh, in the comments. And he never missed a chance he's guilty of Kyogo would break all the records in my opinion. Well, I remember saying he's going to be one of those strikers right at the start. That I think it was his first game against Dundee, could have had a double hat trick. And everybody was impressed with that hat trick at Celtic Park and I said he's going to be one of those strikers who misses chances too and people were getting on my case and I was just like well that's what I'm watching and yeah I agree with Derek Crawford he does miss a lot of chances but he also buries a lot of chances so uh, people are going to say imagine Kyogo's numbers if he took the penalties if Kyogo did penalties he would hit 40 that's that's it uh, um, has he taken a penalty for Celtic even I'm not a... uh, no, I, I can't remember if he took one in that famous uh, Sydney Super Cup shootout Tony against Everton. Uh, 
he might have been one and a half friendly. I can't fully remember because I was absolutely shattered watching that. But <laughs> uh, in terms of competitive, he's not taking one no. Uh, when not I was numbers, which does make which I, does make his sort of tally very impressive because when you look at the sort of other players I mentioned, uh, Edward Griffiths and Bailey, uh, they all did take quite a few penalties as part of that. I, I mm-hmm. missed a few to be fair. It wasn't like all the goals were penalties, but there was at least I think five plus penalties for each of them within their totals that I was looking at. So. The fact that Kyogo's not had that is probably does, does once again show it's been impressive starts from. Yeah, that's that's very true. Yeah, uh, Derek Crawford comes in and says Kyogo misses easy ones and scored the hard ones. Maida is the same. <laughs> There's an element to that, isn't there? I uh, and then John Hutchins, when do Celtic ever get penalties? Laugh out loud. Yeah, go ahead. And David and I just want to say, Tony, uh, just when we were touching on like Kyogo missing chances, obviously he, he does, he does, uh, particularly in the Champions League this season, which was frustrating for some fans. But what I would say is, I think with Kyogo, you could maybe, maybe you could put a striker in there, maybe they get 10 more goals a season on him, but they wouldn't have his movement or his build up play that he offers. Yeah, yeah. Probably, even if he's not getting direct assists, if you believe in, you know, kind of secondary assists, pre assists, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Kyogo's probably contributing another good few goals from that perspective, whereas you might have somebody who's a bit more lethal in the box, maybe rather than getting 30 goals a season, gets 40 goals a season, but can't offer a lot in terms of build-up play, which overall would sort of hamper the team. So I think mm-hmm. that's probably maybe something worth mentioning. Just been, well, so. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, listen, I, I think everybody of us, Celtic, uh, frame of mind, Loves Kyogo, loves what he brings to the team, that work ethic, the, the ability to play guys in and also get involved and offer a lot more than just a natural goal scorer, which he clearly is. But I don't think 30 plus is beyond him, the way he's going. I mean, those two goals on Sunday were just, uh, even Alan McCoyst in the commentary box was saying they were real strikers' goals. You have to be in there, but the movement for the second goal is just, Incredible. I mean, he's on the go as soon as Moy gets the ball, anticipating that he's going to go to Hitachi and going to come across the goal. He's on the move, which is why it caught out Barisic again. He just can't cope with someone running off him and coming in behind him and, and scoring. But uh, thankfully, but no, he's, his movement's incredible. He's And if you've got players who are going to hit that near post, they're aiming for him because they know he should be there and he does it instinctively now. And uh, also, it's obviously been worked on as well, but it's the first thing they think of, isn't it, when they look up and they're hitting that near post area, they're thinking he should be there, and he put it in there as a, a matter of course, and more often than not, he is there, so big up to him, he, and as the manager once said, he, he, he's built like a jockey, you know, you think of the you think of the, the big guys he has to beat to get there in order to put the ball in the net, so nah, I've I think the beauty of Sunday's two goals where he made it look simple, but it's the hardest thing in the world to be in that position, to know where the ball's going to be and to get yourself in there to score. But he just made it look easy. And uh, came Matsu comes in here and says, that's the thing with both Kyogo and Maida, they're pressing the ball at full tilt and creating chances. It can be messy at times, but the number of chances balances, balances out. Yeah, I agree with that to, to a, a large extent. I just think the two of their movements are just incredible and it's hard to deal with, Aidan. Yeah, it is. And just when you were talking about the example of the, the goal, the second goal at the weekend, I mean, 
Barris, it's just sort of only solution. And you've seen that was basically once Kilgo almost had the ball in the net, it was just pulling down to try and fill. <laughs> uh, so there would have been a penalty there, even if uh, for other reason they hadn't got his foot on it. But yeah, his movement is just so dangerous. And I think even in the Champions League, I know he wasn't lethal in front of goal, right? He'll be frustrated himself. He probably could have had, you know, three or four goals in that group stage, if I'm being honest. Like yeah. a other players, you know, it wasn't just him. I'm just highlighting him because also we're, we're talking about Kyogo. But his movement was still excellent. Like, even against top-level teams, his movement was causing problems, which I think just shows you how talented he is. Just the finishing was slightly off, but he was getting, even at the Bernabeu in the last game, he was getting, you know, in some really good positions and getting ahead of some top, top defenders. So, yeah, like he's, he's always been a brilliant sign and fingers crossed next season, if Celtic do win the league and the chances, he can, he can maybe just add some more goals in Europe. That's That, that would be a, the improvement, isn't it, that Celtic are looking for and, and the learning curve that everyone was on last season to show that he can score goals at that level. We'd all love to see that. And Derek Crawford saying, Tony, the way top ex-players talk about his movement tells you everything you need to know. Exactly. I spoke to one of them the other week, John Hartson. He he said he compared his movement. Remember, listen to the words. Compared his movement to that of Henrik Larson. Henrik Larson, when he's pumping him at Celtic Park, he'd make those near-post runs. Alan Thompson would find them. Or John Hartson would move the back-post runs, knock it down. Known thing well that Henrik Larson would be there and at the near post having run in. So he was talking about that, that it was similar, a similar trait he was saying. So yeah, I I think lots of ex players admire Kyogo's movement and the way he goes about his business. But nobody admires him more than Ange Postacoglu and the Celtic supporters and his teammates at this moment in time, Aiden. Now I wanted to finish with this one, Aiden. If you will let me Lisbon Lion, John Fallon. I don't know if you've seen this, guys, but it's on the website today. It's a wonderful story. He's teamed up with Jamie Doran, who is an Emmy winner documentary filmmaker. He made the documentary film with Al Jazeera, the fans that make football, that we did the Celtic one. But they are hopefully going to build a school in the South Sudan because Jamie was covering an absolute horrendous situation in South Sudan. If you want to read the the torment in South Sudan with the kids and what happens with them, it's it's brutal stuff, absolutely brutal. But uh, from this, there's some light emerged, and John, uh, John no, sorry, Jamie got talking to uh, a guy called Alison Tunga, who repelled uh, Kony's terrorist forces, basically from the area in the South Sudan and uh, <laughs> as all Celtic supporters do, they talk about their club all the time and this Alison Tunga, who was part of the, the rebel forces who repelled the, the, the forces was intrigued by John Fallon's story about being the 12th Lisbon Lion and he said to Jamie, I want to build a school, there's 500 children in a school who, uh, who in the village who get taught under trees and stuff like that, and now they've set a GoFundMe page to raise 90000 because they've been given land and uh, permission to build a school, and in the South Sudan, they're going to call it the 12th Lion School. I mean, it's, it's incredible. So John Fallon's going to be immortalised in the South Sudan. 
with the 12th line school and uh, John was talking about that as well. He's delighted to uh, put his name to the project and hopefully the Celtic fans can help with the GoFundMe and raise the money. It's I think they need just short of ninety thousand. It's all on the it's all in the story, but it's an incredible story Aiden, just how the Celtic uh, Celtic travels all across the world and Jamie said he wanted to do it for two reasons because uh, John was John Fallon was the twelfth man at, in Lisbon, and he was a substitute goalkeeper. But when the final whistle went, John Fallon's medal was taken off him and given to one of the Celtic directors at the time. And Jamie said that was terrible. And it's only recently uh, that John Fallon was finally presented with his Lisbon Lion medal from the nineteen sixty seven European Cup win, and he deserves it. Uh, so, yeah, uh, yes. He's being immortalised, hopefully, with the building of this school in the South Sudan, which will educate young kids who Jamie Doran said were the most traumatised kids he'd ever seen in his life. And he's covered wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, and uh, places like that. So that tells you something about the torment that, that they have gone through. So hopefully, as I say, some light comes out of this darkness and that school's built and you know, John Fallon will be immortalised in the South Sudan, isn't it? It's quite an incredible tale, it really is. As I say, I urge you to go and read the piece, it's just, it's, it, your your heart will sink, but it'll also be lifted by what's going to happen at the end of it all. Yeah, it's obviously a, a sort of very sad story overall that hopefully is going to have a sort of positive outcome. And yeah, Tony, I think yeah, a few people are asking about uh, the GoFundMe link. That's obviously in the in the article. Yeah, it's in the article at the end. There's a link to that at the end. Uh, if you click on that, you want there's a paragraph that says for those who wish to find out more about the Twelfth Line School or to donate to the Just Given page, click here. So the link's in there for you if you want to, as I say, find out more. And it's it's unbelievable, Aiden. I just it's it's a wonderful story in terms of what's coming out of a really desperate and sad war situation, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously not not good at all what's been happening, but the fact that it is hopefully going to have a, some sort of positive resolution and the fact that there's obviously the sort of Celtic angle with it as well does once again show what we all know, that the club does have a sort of worldwide appeal, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, a school sort of in South Sudan getting named after a... Somebody who was obviously on the bench for the, the European Cup final in 1967, really as something else. So, yeah, we'd urge everybody to go and read that and, uh, if possible, uh, donate through the GoFundMe link. Yeah, I mean, uh, having spoke to John Fallon, he's just delighted at it all. And I spoke to, to Jamie as well. It's just, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's just a wonderful, amazing tale. Really is an amazing tale. And, uh, and Jamie said it was had a duality of purpose. One, to build the school, and two, to get John Fallon the, the recognition that he deserves as well, which uh, says a lot about Jamie as well. I, I think it's it's to be applauded. And, yeah, I think uh, Celtic supporters, when they see this, will be deeply touched by it, and they might want to donate. I think it was up for a couple of days, Aidan, last week, and they'd raised already five or six grand. <laughs> it's just like, it just shows you just people uh, are de- desperate to help in these situations as well. But I think the the total, as I say, is just just short of ninety grand. They need to uh, 
to race to build the school, having been given permission to build it on the land in the South Sudan. So wish everybody involved in that project well. Hope it gets done. And as I say, if you want to read a, an amazing tale, then uh, click on the click on the story and read it for yourself. It is parts of it are harrowing, but uh, yeah, there's some light at the end of this tunnel. Hopefully, with the building of this school, which will benefit all the children and honour uh, the great John John Fallon, the, the twelfth line. As it's going to be no needing. Can't see much better than that. There you have it. Now, we will preview St Martin. Celtic move on to Paisley. Don't mention Paisley in September, Aiden. Right. We'll go on to Paisley on Sunday. We'll preview that in full tomorrow. And we'll have our predictions, predicted lineups, all that kind of stuff. But uh, thank you for joining us today. Aiden, thanks for your input today. First class, thanks for the comments, guys. Uh, I urge you, as I say, to go and read that John Fallon story. You'll like it, it's good. And uh, yeah, and as we do every day, I urge you to subscribe to the Celtic Way. Ha click a button, cost you £2 for two months of access to everything that we write on the website. And it's www.celticway.co.uk forward slash subscribe. That's www.celticway.co.uk forward slash subscribe and we also say thank you to Seneca as you all know now Celtic Way Morning Briefing is now sponsored by Seneca Medical Group and Seneca are the number one hair transplant company in Europe and they offer innovative hair restoration treatments and you can find out more about Seneca via the links in the description of this video so thank you for joining us thank you Aidan take care guys we'll see you all again tomorrow cheers guys Thank you.